fall down We lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus The greatness of, of mercy and love is at the feet of Jesus We cry history of the church. I'm glad to be a part of the future of the church. But I'm so glad to be a part of what's going on right now. Amen. We greet you today in the name of the Lord. Let's turn to 2 Samuel, if you would, chapter 12, verse 24. I guess if I'd have preached faster and talked faster, I probably could have been preaching on Mary today instead of Bathsheba. But either I'm a little late or y'all a little early. I guess we just have to figure out. Um, I had to get David redeemed, though, didn't we? We had to. We had to. So today, by the help of the Lord, we'd like to look <clears throat> look back at Bathsheba. God blessed Bathsheba with a a son whose name was Solomon, who would become king in his father's stead. I believe myself from looking at it that it must have been the will of God for David and Bathsheba to be together. But like Satan does us many times, he will jump ahead of the plan of God and try to mess it up. I wonder myself if uh, David would have waited. It's very possible and likely that Uriah would have been killed in the same battle that he died in except in the will of God must have been his time to go anyway but Satan tries to push us ahead of God's program and get us in trouble how many has ever been there done that well the rest of you will before you leave no doubt you will and all of you can raise your hands. Let's read together 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. Now she's not called the wife of Uriah. But now she's legally married to David. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. How different it was in the first introduction of Bathsheba. David took her. But now David is comforting her. 
and went in unto her and lay with her and she bare a son. And he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him. You don't find that very many times in the entire Bible. When God isolated an individual and said that he loved him. Notice in verse 25. And he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet and he called his name Jedidiah. Now in the Hebrew it's Yedidiah. Yedidiah, which means beloved of Jehovah. The name given to Solomon through Nathan the prophet. So God renames him because he loves him. Solomon's a good name. It means peace, so it's a good name. But God is making a claim now after his birth that he is Yedidiah, beloved of Jehovah. I mean, like to be remembered today as we pray. In our church family, we have several that are sick, many different ones dealing with uh, side effects of being sick, several that are traveling, of course, this week and gone to be with their families over the holidays, so we certainly want to remember them. I wonder how many of you would like to be remembered today. Just raise your hand to the Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be gathered together here today again. And we thank you, Lord, that we've been able to have this place. If everything goes well, maybe a few weeks out, we'll be able to move into our new building. But we're grateful for the Holiday Inn. We're thankful. I was really getting concerned about what we were going to do. But just as you always do, you always have something in your mind. And we're grateful that you've worked it out for us. This would have been terrible to have to stream this whole time. But thank you, Lord Jesus. So now we've come today again that we could worship and sing and how beautiful the songs were as the saints lifted their voices in adoration to you, commemorating your first advent, at least in this way as a baby. We want you to know we are so grateful that you come. It's so sad what our world has turned Christmas into. But to us, Lord Jesus, it's still about you. It's not about turkey and dressing and eating and gifts and this and that and the other. It's because you came. And we thank you so much. Father, you see the needs of your children Many hands uplifted, needed prayer today, requests on their heart. Different ones that are traveling, others will be traveling this week coming up. Different ones with the flu, with COVID, with infections, with this, that, the other. Lord God, be mindful of your sheep today, I pray. Help us, Lord. Help me to get out of the way, Father, that you can speak through me words of life. Grant it, dear God, we commit the service to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. you. May be seated. We have before us today a beautiful picture of God showing love, forgiveness, and ultimately redemption.
God is going to take the pain of this woman by the name of Bathsheba. And he's going to not necessarily eradicate all of it, but change it around. Her first entrance into the palace was one of sin and lust. The outcome is going to be terrible. As we've looked at already, nowhere does the Lord actually blame her, and yet she was still caught in wrong. To defy the king would have been death. According to the law, the Torah, a woman, when she was forced upon by a man, her innocence was declared by her screaming out. So if she screamed out, then that's basically all she could do. But we have no record that Bathsheba did that or didn't do it. But we know that God in his mercy had made a covenant with David and that covenant could not be broken even though it would cause David lots of pain and sorrow. Bathsheba, I believe, was part of that covenant. Her introduction into the covenant was certainly the wrong way, but yet God has a way of redeeming things that we mess up. After a royal summons which brings her into the presence of the king, and defiles this, what a wretched entrance into the life of King David. The circumstances began to improve for Bathsheba. She's a woman of great pain, loses her husband, loses her first son, and we know that according to the Jewish tradition that Uriah had children, and so she was taken not only from her husband, but taken from those children. We can tell from the character of the woman that she was a loving person. She was not a seductress. She was not a temptress. She was not at all a Delilah. Totally different than a Delilah. And yet, a woman who had been brought into circumstances beyond her choice and beyond her will, um, Notice with me in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 19. Bathsheba therefore went unto King Solomon to speak unto him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed himself unto her. And notice what happens now. And sat down on his throne and caused a seat to be set for the king's mother. And she sat on his right hand. So the greatest king that we know of on the earth at this time, when his mother comes in, he rises off of his throne, which must have been absolutely beautiful, the way it's described, made of ivory and gold and all of that. And he was a man that his wisdom had went around the world, a very profound gift that God gave him. But his mother comes in and he is so humbled by the entrance of this virtuous woman that he gets up off of his throne and bows himself to her. Now, whether he bowed from the waist or whether he got totally down on his knee, we don't know. 
Either way, it was a great sign of his respect to his mother. Now, had Bathsheba been a Delilah, had she been a temptress, a woman that used her beauty to seduce King David, I find it hard to believe Solomon would have paid obeisance to such a woman. So, you know, when you look at it, there must have been something very outstanding about this woman. Now, remember these five women that we want to look at by the grace of the Lord. Each one of them contribute something to making up the future character of the Gentile bride. Mary would be the only one that would not be tainted by some sort of sexual impurity. So upon her entrance, he arises and bows before her, and then he calls for a seat, the Bible says, but the Hebrew word there is actually a throne, a magnificent seat or a throne that is brought and ordered to be set for her, and she sets upon this throne. So she's elevated then from just being his mother to the first queen mother in the tribe of Israel. So this woman now has began to be raised up from her pain, her anxiety, her loss of her husband, loss of her first son. No doubt it made her very clingy to Solomon. Now she had another son by the name of Nathan which would play a great part in the progeny of the descent of the ascent rather of the Messiah to the throne. She had two more sons. Neither of these were kings, but yet they wound up being great men. But yet, no doubt, there was still the memory of what she had participated in, which was wrong in her first entrance to the king. Now, Solomon didn't have her set way back behind him, but he actually had her set almost on an equal place on his right hand. Now, for those of you that have read the Bible, you know that the Old Testament as well as the New uses the right hand as a special position of authority and power. And this is where, of course, many people without an understanding of the Godhead, whenever they read in the Bible that Jesus is set on the right hand of God, they get it in their mind that there's one throne for God and another throne for the Lord Jesus, and he's sitting over here at God's right hand. But the right hand actually means a symbol. So it's a symbol of power and authority. She doesn't ask for that, but Solomon gives this to her out of great respect. Uh, Why am I doing this? So it will help you to see what Bathsheba was and what she came out of and what she became. So to me, it's a picture of what God can do out of lives that are so bruised, so wounded, and so hurt. And, And what we bring to God many times, people let that dictate and determine how they evaluate themselves. People that come to God that have had a bad background and they've been into a lot of sin. People that say they were married and divorced and then remarried or um, that they lived a very bad life out there and they tend to let that, that affect who they think they are 
And they think other people look down on them and make them less than real genuine Christians. And they think, you know, that they'll be second-class citizens, as it were, in heaven. Well, let me just annihilate that today. That is an absolute lie from the devil. No matter what your past has been, if you have been washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus, as far as he is concerned, you have no past. That's right. But yet people tend to come to the Lord and we all brought baggage when we come to the Lord. So we bring memories. We bring, you know, so many things that we come, come loaded down even after we're saved. And it's very hard to get rid of it. But here is the epitome of a woman that I'm sure, no doubt, she would love for her past to have been totally eradicated. And it's amazing when you look at her in the genealogy in the book of Matthew that the Bible does not actually call her name. It does not refer to her on a first name basis. But it refers to her as having been the wife of Urias, which is the New Testament form of Uriah. And it's also astounding whenever you look at Rahab brought over to the New Testament that Rahab is still called Rahab the harlot. Now you think, well, how in the world would that be? How would she be brought through the cross because the New Testament was written after the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross and yet that identity is still, still who she is. So she's called Rahab the harlot in the book of Hebrews, also in the book of James. Well, why didn't God eliminate that? Now, whenever you think of it, God certainly could have done that. But to me, there's something set forth that it displays the abundance of his grace. That he wants people to know what she was in that past life, but it was the grace of God that put her in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus himself. So when it comes to Bathsheba in the New Testament, her name is not even found. It's not even mentioned, but she was given a higher honor than for her name to be mentioned insomuch that she was of the, of the patronage of the Lord Jesus, a great, 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 great on back grandmother of the human body of Jesus Christ. Now, most of us, of course we know, we'll never be rich people, famous people. We'll never make a great impression on the people of life. We'll live our life, we'll die, we'll bury, we'll be buried, go to the grave, we'll rot, we'll go back to the dust of the earth if the Lord tarries. In a few years, most people will never even have a very faint memory that we existed. But yet God has given us the highest position that could ever be given to human beings in that he chose to live in our bodies. You talking about a blessed people. Now, one of these days, the name of Eisenhower and the name of Pharaoh and the name of Elvis and the name of this person and that person that is so famous and people think they are so great, one day those names will absolutely be forgotten by the redeemed human race but your name will live on forever. Your position as the bride of Christ will be forever in the heavens just as eternal as God himself is. So it all depends on how you value who and where you are. Now for Bathsheba, this, this thing I think needs to be brought into view 
that God used this personally, this woman, to be able to rewrite the story of her life. Now, as I said, I believe that God takes each one of these women and they bring something a little different into the kaleidoscope of how God is going to make this bride in the last day. Of course, the last 2,000 years, he's been working on a Gentile bride. And Rahab brings something very unique, very special. Ruth does as well. But yet, we find Bathsheba, she brings something that is totally different. It is a a lineage by which God will bring the very image of the son of David. Now the son of David was not brought in the lineage of Rahab. The son of David was not brought in the lineage of Ruth. But the son of David is going to be brought in the lineage of Bathsheba. Now look at Solomon. If if any of you, your mother would have been, say, a a bad woman. And she lived, uh, uh, maybe even before she got saved, and she was out on the street, and she lived a very bad life. And some of you found out about that, about your mother, and it would kind of be sort of embarrassing that your mother was that way. And you probably wouldn't want many people to know about it. And in your humanity, you probably still might struggle with it a little bit. You know, how could mama have done that? And how could she have done this? But there must have been something so outstanding about the character of Bathsheba. Not that she was a bad type of woman and forgiven for that awful thing that she was, but something that was so profound about her and she was thrown into this and it made an impression on Solomon's life. We have no record of what Nathan, her third son, thought about her. We have no record of what Shobab and his other brother thought about her. But we do have a record of what Solomon thought about her. We really don't get an insight of how it was to be raised in the home of King David. But I do find it astounding that Solomon never wrote about his relationship in, with his father, King David, in the way that he did his mother, Queen Bathsheba. Now, this is astounding to me because you'd think this is David's son and this is the son that is going to take David's place and yet Solomon does not relate to him in the same way that he does Bathsheba. Now, no doubt David was busy and he had a lot of things going on in his life And many of us fathers will attest, especially as we get older, that we would probably go back and do some things different with our daughters, with our sons. Is that right? Any of you brothers look back and think, yeah, I would have done different. I'd have made more time. I would have done this or that or the other. And it might have been that instance with David. We just don't know. But there was such an impression that Bathsheba made on his life that he writes about her in several different instances. And what's this in Proverbs chapter one, verse eight? Look at Solomon's view now of a godly mother. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law, which is Torah, the law of thy mother. 
Now notice he brings both father and mother together and he designates the instruction of the father. So David must have instructed him. And then he says, forsake not the Torah, the Torah. Now this is the same word that the Jews use in describing the Ten Commandments and Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And then this is what they call, as we say in English, the Torah. So Solomon of all the words that he could have used to describe the things that he got from Bathsheba, he uses the word Torah as if he would place the instruction from his mother on this basis to use the same Hebrew word as the Ten Commandments and the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. He must have valued the teaching of his mother very highly. Now, teaching is not just necessarily the mother sitting down and, and bringing a book out and you know, saying, now, honey, you'll not do this and thou shalt not do that, thou shalt not do that. But we know that teaching, it involves much more than just words. It involves behavior. It involves what we give to our children. Now, I'm a hunter, and I'm out in, the, in nature a lot, not the last few years so much, but I watch how that, that a hen turkey and how that she will get her little poults, as they call it, around them. Now, that hen, she's got several different chirps and several different things that she will use. She used chirps and clucks and purrs and all types of different, well, it's turkey language. I know some of you turkey humans don't know turkey, turkey language, but they have different little things and they communicate. And being in the woods and you'll watch them and you'll watch how that she will do a certain purr and they will do a certain thing. They react accordingly. And then she'll do a certain chirp and then she has this alarming sound. And when she makes that alarming sound, them little poults, I mean, they may not be that big. They've just been hatched out in the spring. But when she sends that out, they all go to getting on edge. I mean, they get all tore up. They, they just go to looking around and looking around. They don't see what she sees, but they're really tore up by what they hear. So they begin to react and they have a response to that. Well, what are they, what's them turkeys teaching their youngins? They don't go to turkey school. They don't ever graduate from Turkey College. So where do they get that? Now the father, which is the Tom, he's not around them. He has nothing to do with their upbringing. Absolutely not one thing. Uh, they don't even know who their daddy is. So they are raised by their mother. Everything they will need in life because by the fall, they will be pretty good sized. By spring, the, the males will be jakes and the females will be hens. And where will they learn how to live? How, where will they learn how to eat and what to eat? How will they learn how to exist? From their mother. So their mother, when they're limited to chirps and purrs and all that, she will convey to them, but it's more than that. They will learn from watching what she does. So if she raises that head up and looks around, you can watch them. They don't even know what they're looking for, but all they know is she raised her head and they raise their head. And they're trying to figure out, what in the world am I looking for? So they're just looking. I mean, they're just looking. Why? Because mama's looking. Mama's looking, I'm looking. You mothers have a great impact on what your children will become. And you fathers do as well. So Bathsheba was a woman which was of such noble character 
that she had not only a place in David's eyes, and I hope you understand this, that, that David actually did not fall in love with Bathsheba when he first saw her. But David lusted after her beauty, which is not the same thing as falling in love. Well, somebody said amen. So no doubt David had to fall in love with her. And after this terrible, terrible sin, I'm sure that Bathsheba must have had a real struggle trying to fall in love with a man who killed her husband. And also falling in love with a man, with this woman, because of his sin, her first baby died. Now this, we have no record that she had any babies of her own with Uriah. So this woman's first baby was out of adultery and the baby dies. So you can imagine now trying to fall in love with this man which has killed your husband and basically wind up killing your firstborn son. So she must be over it by now and David comforted his wife. So we see a different aspect of David's character. Now he's learning to love her and she is learning to love him. And now they have this son and they call his name Solomon. So some years go by and by the time we pick up on it here, by the time that Solomon is now king, the Bible doesn't actually give us a time frame by which this was written, but we can see early on the influence of this godly mother. Read with me in Proverbs 6.20. And the Bible said, My son, keep thy father's commandment. Now he says it a little different. And forsake not the law of thy mother. Again, the Torah. The law of thy mother. The word mother is mentioned 15 times in the book of Proverbs alone. Always in the sense of honor and respect that a good godly mother should have. And everybody said, now let us move to Proverbs chapter 31 verse 1. Now we move into a perspective about Bathsheba, which I'm not sure if you've ever looked at it quite this way before. But actually Bathsheba moves in under a spirit of prophecy. Bathsheba not only was David's uh, beloved wife and Solomon and Nathan and Shobab and the other young men's mother, but she was a woman that sought after God. She was a woman that loved God. Now this is very unusual for women of the Old Testament, but there were a few of them that were allowed to have this type of position, and she was one of them. But this woman had some insight prophetically into the life of her son Solomon. Now the Bible doesn't tell us that she did of Shobab or of Nathan or any of the other of her family, but she actually prophesied to Solomon of his future demise. Now listen, the words of King Lemuel, the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. Now, the word Lemuel, there is no such king, of course, in the tribal order of any of the Jews, either on the side of Judah or the side of Israel. There is no known kings that you can trace back in the entire Mediterranean era uh, during this time frame that Solomon lived. So it is assumed that this was a name that Bathsheba gave to Solomon herself. 
like we would have names that we would call our children. My oldest daughter, her name is Alicia Yvonne Babb, and, but we've always called her Lish for short. And so you know how we do that. We will call our kids certain names and our husbands and our wives, depending on what mood we're in, whenever we call them. <laughs> anyway, that's another sermon. So uh, this is assumed that this is what she called her son Solomon. Now God had already given him a pet name and it was Jedediah. So Lemuel, this is his name and when Solomon goes to writing this down, he refers to himself as the name that his mother called him. Now notice he said the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy, the prophecy that his mother taught him. So his mother Bathsheba began to give Solomon some words about his future. Now if you read this, it's absolutely astounding in the sense of the way that she began to speak of how monarchs should and should not live. She began to tell him how the king should not drink wine. She began to tell him of how the king should not become violated by women. She began to tell him, now remember this is early on in, in Solomon's reign and by this time he hadn't married all of these women of course and he had not begun to pull his heart away from God by idolatry but Bathsheba began to prophesy and she t- tells him It's really sad. To me, it's so sad because she was inspired by God to tell him of his future and he even acknowledged it, but instead of him going ahead and obeying it, he goes right ahead and does the opposite of what his mother prophesies for him to do. Now, think of how odd that it must have been that here is King David. Now, the name Lemuel simply means unto God or with God. Now, this man has a very special place, so he's beloved of God, of uh, being his name given by Nathan the prophet, and now he's with God or part of God, around God, and the Spirit of God comes upon his mother. Now, we don't know. She was not a prophetess as far as we know, but it was something how the grace of God would take her out of the position that she was in and bring her into a place that this greatest king that ever lived on the earth would be able to take from the teachings of his mother and be able to set forth Proverbs chapter 31. So she was a woman of great value a woman of great insight. Now remember, I'm not just talking about Bathsheba, but I'm talking about her input of the bride type down through the Gentile church ages. Notice with me now in verse two. What, my son? And what, the son of my womb? And what, the son of my vows? So here the poetic name that she gives to Solomon and she addresses him to deal with her son. And you know, and you think, wow, well, why didn't David tell him this? Well, we don't know that David didn't tell him, but if David did say this, somehow it had more impact upon him hearing it from his mother. 
And yet David was a prophet. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts that David was a prophet. And yet here, it was we have no record that David ever told Solomon any prophecy of his end, any prophecy of what was going to happen to him. But here Solomon is revealing to us the prophecy that had so burned and etched upon him, at least in his youth, and it come from his mother. And she calls Lemuel the son of her vows. Now remember her first son was born out of adultery and he died. But now she has a son which is given to her under the correct marriage vows. And this son is one who's named with God or part of God. So she calls him the son of her vows because her and David had got legally and rightfully married. Because of the broken vows with Uriah, the first son was destined to die. But this one is going to live in so much that God would call him his own son. God said, he will be my son and I will be his father. So this one was a son of her vows. I ain't got time to go into it this morning. But if you look at this right here, you see exactly the whore church and the bride church right down through the ages. And you've got that whore church that has many more children than the bride ever will. And they will all die because they're born out of the broken vows between their mother and God. But the bride will give birth to Christ the word and we know the body of Christ is not yet completed and the prophet tells us that in marriage and divorce. But the bride will give the completion, give Christ what he wants and that is a body living down through the church ages and produce a millennium out of her womb. Well, praise the Lord. Out of the marriage supper of the lamb will give birth to a millennium reign by Christ and the bride being joined together and the bride as the word will be able to stand there and say this is the son of my vows that I had with Christ my mate I did not break his word I did not wind up in tribulation period the reason the church are going to tribulation period is because they're giving birth to children that are born out of broken vows with God but the bride don't break her vows She keeps her promise to the Lord and out of her, her union with Christ will come a millennium reign and the bride will produce what? Not the son of man, not the son of God, but the son of David. Praise the Lord. Notice out of Bathsheba then comes Solomon who is what? The son of David. Now, because of these broken vows, this son will die. Now, notice her prophecy that she gives to Solomon in verse three. Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. Now, this was a prophecy Solomon called it. So don't give your strength to women. Now, who is this that is telling him this? Bathsheba. Now, if she would have been a temptress, if she would have been a seductive woman that was trying to lay wait to King David, do you think this man would have paid any attention to this? 
It would be like a prostitute trying to tell you, don't take up my ways. Don't do this and that and the other. But Solomon had such respect for her and no doubt painfully she related this story to Solomon of how she was introduced into the throne and how that David forced himself basically upon her. And yet he looked at her as being the victim of this first situation, not being the cause. Now let me go ahead and say, there are people under the sound of my voice today, both visible and those that will stream this. Many of you are victims of a strong, powerful leader. Some of you are victims of a father abusing you, or a leader, or a ruler, or a teacher, whatever more. Some of you were abused verbally. Some of you were raised by a strong, dominant female mother that so ran your home. And some of you were abused by a father, maybe not sexually, but maybe verbally, never letting you know that he loved you. And some of you to this day, still decades later, searching for approval from people, searching for approval from men. This is why you acclimate toward leaders and why you acclimate toward men that have a role of authority because that something is still missing in you and you seek and search for approval from men of position. But let me just say this to you today. You can let those things dictate to you and let them rule you or you can be like Bathsheba was and you can move beyond the hurt. Did she ever forget it? I dare say, Brother Joel, she never forgot it. She probably never forgot it and probably regretted ever even being where David could even see her in any means. Did she regret becoming his wife legally later? Nope, I'm no doubt in my mind that she knew that was exactly where she was supposed to be, but it was the way she got there. And with us, I'm sure many of us, we have regrets in our life of this and that and the other. But what are you gonna do with those, those regrets? You gonna let them dominate you and let them rule you the rest of your life? Or are you gonna bring your shattered ruins of your life and bring them to the Lord and say, Lord, here it is. I don't know what else to do but to bring all of it. If you can do something with it, Lord, I can't. My mama can't fix it. My pastor can't fix it. Nobody else can fix it. So I bring it all to you and commit it to you. Take the garbage of my life and process it and turn it into an image of the grace of God. Hallelujah. You remember the prophet telling us the story of how they used to make paper and many of you are familiar with the story how that they would take uh, rags and they would take cloth and they would put them into a process and they would be able to turn it into paper. And the Queen of England went to this plant one day and, and they took her through the different processes of it and the man that was leading her around took her to a, a room that was all filled up with all types of old clothes. And you know how clothes are, they can retain smell. So she goes inside of there and she sees all those clothes and that pile is at words there and says, oh, what is this? And the man that was leading around said, these are old clothes, this is what we use. We run them through the process and turn them into paper. So what is old dirty rags today will become paper tomorrow. So the queen just couldn't hardly comprehend that. 
But what the man did was he runs some clothes through the process and he took the queen's profile and put the the queen's profile on this processed paper and sent it to her so that she would be able to know what the process would be able to do. Maybe the Lord can take the, the hurts of our lives and the rags of this and that and the other and run it through the process of not our pride and our arrogance and our self-help books and all this and that, but through the grace of God. And run at the rags of our life and the refuse of our life and the basically the garbage of our life and run it through a process and not so much the image of the queen, but may the image of the king be impressed upon our lives. I don't know about you, there could be no greater honor that could ever be given to me as a son of God living on the earth that when I complete my life's journey that the image of the king could be embossed upon the image of my life and I will find myself standing there in a body like his own glorious body. Hallelujah. That's when I will be totally, completely satisfied and know that the image has been born through and through and I will stand there and have a body like his own body. Isn't that what we want? Notice now how that she goes on with this prophecy. Give not thy strength. Now I love this because here Solomon is writing this, though it's in the third person himself, but he's writing this as if though Bathsheba is speaking it. And he changes on it, so watch him. Now as the actors will change from one part to another. Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. Is it not for kings, O Lemuel? Is it not for kings to not drink wine? nor for princes strong drink. Now watch, she has broke into an understanding. Oh, if the people could only hear the prophetic utterance of the bride. As she started uttering forth the command of God in the book of Acts, if they could have only heard the prophecy from Luther, if they could have only heard the prophecy from Wesley, if they could have only heard the prophecy from Malachi 4, if they could only hear the prophecy that's still ongoing right now. What do you mean, Brother Donnie? Through the ministry of the hour telling the bride to get ready. Get ready, the Lord is coming. Get ready, the Lord is coming. Praise the Lord. And there will be an element of people, of course, that will, and there'll be an element of people that won't. There will actually be some that'll be like Solomon that will hear it, that will respect it, that will pay an an, an element of honor to it and still won't obey it. This is what makes it so sad to me. It's about Solomon, that Solomon knew these things and you can tell in his youth that he actually cherished them and gave them a great spot in his life. As Proverbs goes on and he begins to write and you move from Proverbs over into Ecclesiastes, which they say is written a few years after Proverbs. Then Solomon is now, he's tasted a lot of the things of life. And he said, I've drank and I've done this and that and the other. And he said, I've known all these pleasures and none of them produce any happiness at all. By this time, he's already turned several years and he's got much of this behind him. In Pro- 
Proverbs, he's still at the youth stage. And he's always honoring this word and how he loves this prophecy. But by the time he gets to Ecclesiastes, he's already married all these women. He's done on all these things. And he don't even know what's real no more. He don't even know. I've looked for happiness here and I've looked for it there. And I'm so dissatisfied. It's all vanity. It's vanity. It's all vanity. That is a very sad individual. Oh my. Notice she says, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Now notice what Bathsheba is doing. She is prophetically giving to Solomon a warning of what lays for kings. Now this is what lays for all kings. So him being a king, the potential of becoming this prophecy certainly lays before him. But it's my choice He did not have to. She's sending it forth. This is what you can become. We as a message church, as message people, we can become cold, indifferent. We are in Laodicea in the time frame, but we do not have to be Laodiceans. We can be cold. We can become indifferent. We can say, well, God don't really matter no more. I go to church. It's just something I do socially. Well, if that's what you want to do, it's up to you, but you don't have to. Or he can be your life. He can be your love. He can be everything to you. <laughs> Prophetically, the Laodicean age will think they are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. But knowest thou not that thou art wretched and poor and blind and naked. That's what the prophecy said. That ain't gonna be me because that's not who I am. I choose not to fulfill that prophecy. What about anybody else here this morning? I choose not to fulfill that prophecy. Some men are gonna fall in adultery and I'm not gonna do it. I choose to fulfill the prophecy. There will be a bride, Brother Jack, that will be faithful to the Lord. They will stay true on his word. It's up to you, Lemuel. Oh my, notice in verse eight. Open thy mouth for the dumb and the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Now notice she's given him advice of how a king should be. That a king should not just be the voice of the rich and the voice of the important, but also the voice of those who have no voice. So she uses the word dumb. Doesn't necessarily mean they couldn't talk, but being poor and outcast and the lowest of the kingdom, they might as well not be able to speak. But she's instructing him, Lemuel, don't be that way. Don't be that way. Don't don't forget where God brought me from. How could she say this? By experience. Because she had no choice and no voice when the king beckoned her to his bed. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Wow. Bathsheba endured much and overcome much. God is now redeeming Bathsheba's pain. Now let's go to Proverbs 31, verse 10. Now remember the Jewish historians, 
they say that Proverbs 31 was written about Bathsheba. But I myself, I see more than Bathsheba in these verses. I see the bride. I see some of our sisters as well, of course. Notice in Proverbs 31.10, who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. Who can find? Now I want you to notice how that now it shifts from Bathsheba to Solomon. Now he's gonna take it in first person uh, and by this time, no doubt he's, he's, he's a great monarch and he's been introduced to all types of women, uh, women of royalty, women of low degree, all types of women and he's already started no, noticing in the conquest or the search of humanity, maybe still looking for wives. I mean, the man that had that many is still looking about everywhere he went, I would think, wouldn't you? I thank God we don't believe in polygamy. I think there's something a little bit missing in a man's mind that want a thousand wives. Good Lord, sometimes it's hard enough having one, much less five or 600 or a thousand. Hey, I love my wife. I wouldn't take nothing to worry for, but I wouldn't want 500. Glory to God, Brother Donnie Allwood. Come up here and let me cast that devil off of you. But I want you to notice that, that Solomon's thought is not about polygamy. Right here he has the mindset of who can find, he doesn't put it in plural, who can find virtuous women. That I want all of these women, I want all of them. His mindset is still correct. Who can find a virtuous woman? One. So no doubt he's seen many, hundreds of thousands, and they would come at his court, and the kings and the princes would come from the different nations that would be around him. You know, imagine it was a constant influx of people coming to see King Solomon, and they would bring their daughters, and here their daughters was marriageable ages, and, and maybe they were fat, and some of them were skinny, and some of them were, you know, just all types of different ways. But Solomon could tell by looking at them the way they were. They were not interested in character. They were interested in being the wife of Solomon and the perfect type of the the churches. The churches are not interested in living right. Many of them are not interested in pleasing the Lord Jesus. They don't want to go to hell. They don't want to be lost. So you know what? They, they, they sign a book and they'll put their name on a book. They'll shake a preacher's hand because they do not want to go to hell. But the bride does just not want to go to hell. She wants to please him. Who can find a virtuous woman? Now hold your place there, but read also with me in Proverbs chapter 12, verse four. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. So a virtuous woman, that is one whose portrait is traced with the words of Proverbs 31. Now already in chapter 12, he's, he's talking about this virtuous woman. Well, where did he get this example? His mother, Bathsheba. You see, such a woman is not simply loving and modest and nice, but she is a crown to her husband. Now think of what women can be from a scriptural perspective that they are not a floor mat, they are not to be a sex queen. They are not to be under the feet of a man. 
Well, praise the Lord. Real godly daughters of God are not second class citizens in the economy. They've got the same Holy Ghost any man's got. They've got the same blood of the Lord Jesus. As a matter of fact, they overcome more. You believe what you want to believe. I believe the daughters of God that have lived down through the ages will have such an exceeding great reward because so much of the fashion, so much of the world, and so on is aimed at our daughters. When the daughters of God throng the streets of glory, I think we're going to be surprised how heaven will react when our sisters walk down streets of gold because they have more hell aimed at them, they have more of the things of the world. I wish somebody preached with me this morning and when they get there, the Lord God will reward them with such a tremendous reward. Well, let's go ahead and give them a, good, a praise right now. There you go, sisters. You see, a real virtuous woman actually crowns her husband's life. What an awesome thing. Now, would you notice that Solomon does not liken a real virtuous woman to being the ring on his finger? He doesn't liken her to being a necklace around his neck. He doesn't liken her to being a toe ring on his little teeny toe under his feet. But he likens her to being her husband's crown. Wow. You mean a woman has that type of value in the eyes of God? Yeah. Now this, remember this imprint comes from who? A man that is the wisest man in all of the world at this time. But he was raised by a woman who was the crown of her husband. <laughs> now no doubt David's crown was beautiful. And no doubt the people of the kingdom would come in and look at it and the people from other kingdoms would come in and look at the crown but actually the crown on David's head was not the crown of David's life. The crown of David's life was Bathsheba. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and say it. Hold on to your seat, buckle up. The crown of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, he will have a crown, yes. He will have a crown and we will put it on his head. But hey, the angels of God aren't gonna bow down to the crown that'll be placed upon his head. The angels of God will not circle the earth when the crown is brought from the throne room and placed upon his head. But when his crown, when his crown is brought before him, don't you understand why this bride means so much to him? Don't you understand why he has never been crowned to this day? Our Lord Jesus, remember when St. Martin was in his room and this angelic appearance come into his room and there was a bright light and so on and the angel spoke to him and said, Martin, don't you know me? I'm your Lord and Master. I'm Jesus Christ. Bow down and worship me, Martin. And Martin looked at him and he looked at him. And again, the voice said, don't you know me, Martin? I'm the Lord Jesus. Bow down before him and he said, get behind me, Satan, I rebuke you. Our Lord has not yet been crowned. He will be crowned by his bride. 
Well, it's very fitting that the bride crown him since she is his crown. Don't you understand? Angels cannot crown him. The universe is not his crown. Heavens are not his crown. The earth is not his crown. His people are his crown. Listen to me, brothers. Man needs such a woman to crown or complete his life. You say, how can you say that? From the example of the first man in the Garden of Eden. A man living in complete perfection. He never had to get up and work. He never had to get up and worry. He never had to fret. He never had anxiety. He never had low blood pressure, high blood pressure. He never had heart palpitations. He never had nothing going on. That was not one bad day. But God looked at him and said, it's not good for the man to be without a crown. In other words, it's not good for the man to be alone. And here was a man that was living in absolute perfection in the Garden of Eden. But the thing that wasn't complete was he was missing something. What was it? The crown of his life. So we know the story and God shows the epitome of his love by bringing this man a crown. With the joys that she brought to him, it's easy in one way for us to see why when she failed and did wrong that Adam was willing to forfeit his godship in the Garden of Eden. He remembered those days of being without a crown. He remembered those days of being alone. He was in total control. He was the God of the earth. Everything was at his control and yet was all of that. Now that he had known this crown, he knew he could never be totally happy again. So he was willing to forfeit his godship and walk out with this woman because he could not think about living another day without her. Now he had more ribs, that's true. But you see, when God opened up his body, God went inside his body and pulled out a rib. But God went into the second dimension of man and he divided his spirit and he pulled the the feminist qualities out of Adam's spirit and placed them inside this body. Adam had more ribs, but he didn't have no more spirit in him. Hallelujah. To give birth to another bride. Oh, Lord God. Man needed this type of a being that would complement his kingdom. (laughs) He needs her because she will mirror a divine image of what the bride will mirror in God. Hope you understand it. The prophet says it this way, God is not complete without you. Oh, I know, I know, I know. It's hard to comprehend. And we say, oh, he needs us. We need him, brother. We need him. And we absolutely do every day of our life. But he has so orchestrated his program, he absolutely needs you. Hallelujah. Oh, don't you love him? You imagine he needs you because she helps balance him in different aspects of his life. And the man needs virtue outside of himself to complement who he is. 
So the woman can crown him. And there's things that can be said about a man's wife. Of course, it cannot be said about him. There's things that can be said about the bride, if you will. It is those traits and characteristics that was in the eternal before there was ever a world. Before there was ever any element of time or atoms or molecules, these attributes were in him. And he thought of himself as being tangible. And he thought of me, he thought of you, future home. The prophet tells us he thought of himself of becoming a human being and that projected him down to becoming Jesus Christ. So God transmitted himself down, that part of himself down on this Christmas morn. Hallelujah. But then that was not all that he was. Hallelujah. Jesus was the human expression of God. But Jesus needed a crown. Thank you, Lord God. You see, that's the man who would be crowned with this. Must pray so fervently to get the right choice in life. So if a woman is to crown a man's life, if a man gets the wrong one, Think of what she mirrors in that man's life. Well, if y'all get any quieter, we're going to go under negative decibels. (laughs) You see, Solomon looks at her and he says, she is a virtuous woman, is so great and so profound. Her price is greater than rubies. Now remember, at this time in civilization, rubies were very rare. They were very prized, very beautiful. So you could go out and pick up gravels about anywhere, rocks about anywhere, sand about anywhere, where they lived at anyway. But to find a woman, a virtuous woman, I hope you understand, I ain't just talking about Bathsheba today. I'm talking about the bride. If God had not ordained a virtuous bride in every age, Satan would have totally destroyed all of humanity. Just look at those of us who love him today with all of our hearts. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, our stupidity, our humanity, our ignorance, our shortcomings. Well, come on, Brother Donnie. All the things that we have done since we got saved. Where would we be if it wasn't for the grace of God? Notice in Proverbs 19, 14, house and riches are the inheritance of fathers, which is what fathers would pass down to their children. And a prudent wife is from the Lord. So then Solomon said, that they were so rare. I wonder how much more rare they are even today. So good wives were then, and even more so now, a rare commodity given to sons of God, prized even more than rubies. So the virtuous woman is is a dependable woman. I put some of these things down so I wouldn't forget them. One who can be counted on in every emergency. She's capable and faithful with a high sense of the dignity and importance of administering the affairs of the home. 
Her worth is beyond that of the most valuable jewels. And how did Solomon know this? Not by the women he met, but the one he lived with. I remember many things about my mother. And God knows I still miss her to this day. I was never close to my daddy. I was closer to my mother. And before my daddy got saved, I call sinners, he lived a wicked life, of course. And I can remember them having arguments and this and that. And I can remember mama crying. And I just can go back and I, I will have relapses of it every now and then. And I, I remember waking up in the night crying and hearing my daddy going to leave us. Mine and Harry's room was right next door. I said this was the living room and that was the bedroom door and our bed was right against that wall. I can remember running out of that, wall, that door one day and daddy was going to leave. And mama was begging him, don't leave Don, don't leave me and the kids, don't leave. And I ran out of that room and fell at my daddy's feet, put my arms around his legs. Daddy, please don't leave, please don't leave. <clears throat> but what I remember about my mother is thinking this, if I ever get married... I'm going to treat my wife like a queen. Now maybe genetically or by DNA or just oh rottenness, it probably should be in me to be like he was. But instead of it being in me to be that way, it made me so repulsive that I made up my mind. Now this is before I ever got saved. This is before I ever was called to preach, of course, got the Holy Ghost or anything like that. But it so set me in the opposite direction that I despised that. And I still despise men that don't treat their wives in the right way. Well, if you brothers can't say amen, can't your sisters at least bat your eyes real fast or something so I'll know somebody's hearing me this morning? <laughs> you see, God knows how to make us and mold us. As I look back to that, God never made my daddy do any of those things. And my daddy apologized to me years after all of that, of course. But it was not God that made my daddy do any of those things, but God took those things that I had, those moldings that I had, because God knew what I would become later in life. And God knew that I would speak to tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of his children through, through the years. So God let me be able to hear and, and, and deal with some of those things. You understand for yourself. Some of you look back and you think, why would God let me go through this? And why would God let me go through that? Well, maybe God's got a bigger plan for you. God wants to use what you've been through to help others. So don't go around just feeling sorry for yourself all the time and well, poor little me and poor little that. Let God take them scars and them pains and let God be able to minister to others through the pain that you yourself have experienced. Notice Solomon goes on to say in verse 11, the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. The heart of her husband. Now this could not be said about Bathsheba were she an adulterous type of woman. 
No matter how Solomon might have wanted to believe that it would have been so, he could have never said that in all honesty had his mother been that type of a woman, but she was not that type of a woman. And may I say to you, you were forced into your first marriage. Well, I hope somebody's going to hear me. You were forced into your first marriage and you were taken by that first husband who knew you in a sinful way against your own will. That's right, and God knew that, hallelujah, as God knew it about Bathsheba. She did not choose to commit adultery with David, but she was forced into the situation and the relationship, but once the vows changed and she got married to this man, hallelujah, the right and proper way, then God gave her a son out of this union that God, the Bible said, the Lord loved him. Why? Because now God takes a situation that is bad, a situation that isn't good, and God turns it right around and anoints this woman to be one of the most outstanding women in the entire Bible. Insomuch that God would write the mystery of the redeemed Gentile bride in her life and give her prophecy that she would be able to stand and speak future events. Let me stand this morning and tell you, the world is fixing to be shut down. I just sent an article this morning to several of my preacher friends and some of my family that the government is saying about the National Geological Society and some of those who read the earthquakes that the West Coast is fixing to experience a cataclysmic earthquake like they have never experienced before. They're saying thousands, if not hundreds of thousands will die. And they're saying all these things. I thought, yep, finally y'all are catching up. But will you believe it is from the word of the Lord? No. They'll put it down, well, 30 years down the road, 40 years down the road. But the title of the article was, It Could Be Tomorrow. Oh my, whatever day it is, I wanna be ready to leave this world. Why? Because I believe the prophecy. I believe the prophecy of a virtuous woman, the bride of Christ. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. You see, a man who chews a woman like this in the spring of their life will be able to have such great joy for years and years as the snows of old age catch up with you. So young men, those of you that are looking, you're in the spring of your life looking for a woman. Be sure and find one that can crown you. Find one that whenever you reach past your 20s and your 30s and your 40s and she starts losing a little bit of her physique and her figure. And don't worry, you will too. 
Should I go on? Oh, it's nice if you can find a pretty woman, a fine woman with character, then nothing wrong with that at all. But remember, she will lose that beauty in time. You say, oh, he's so handsome. Oh, Oh, look at him. Oh, she's so beautiful. Look at her in 40 years. She'll still be beautiful if you're looking at her through the right eyes. But after a couple of babies, stretch marks, and this and that, and that. Oh, my sister, oh, Brother Donnie, don't tell people I've got them. We've got enough sense to know you had babies, you've got them. And then you've got crow's feet, and then them crow's feet turn into dinosaur's feet. They get bigger and bigger. And you sisters buy this serum and that serum and all of Olay, my goodness, it's been higher than the oil, crude oil for you know, a lot, many, many years. <laughs> you break open your capsules of vitamin E and eat this and drink that and take this and take that. Why? You don't want to get old. And the truth of it is, us men don't either. I look at myself as a 66-year-old man and I think, this can't be possible. It don't seem like it's been no time. Let me care we're 16 and turned 17 the next day after we got married. And you think, is that possible? Almost 50 years? Our daughter standing here today, our oldest daughter, I won't say how old she is. Her was twin daughters. And you look at your life, you say, where is it gone? A few more settings of the sun. It'll all be gone before us, friends. Oh. I'm so glad the Lord God helped me. Not because I knew what to look for in a wife. I wasn't raised in church. I didn't know what to look for in a wife. But one day I saw this pretty little girl that come to my uncle's church. She said she saw me when I was 12. She visited the church and I was up on the platform playing the guitar, playing a red guitar, and she saw me then. And then she come to church with her cousins. And I saw her. Oh, my goodness. I started feeling funny in my stomach. I started feeling funny in my heart. And oh, it wasn't acid reflux. I look back and I realize it was the grace of God. I had no teaching on what to look for in a wife. I didn't know what to ask for in a wife. But the Lord God knew. Now, Carol and I were very strange. Some of y'all think we're sorry. Some of you nodding your heads. We got married that morning in the Methodist parsonage. But my uncle couldn't marry people. So we got married that morning, and we did something very strange. We went to church that night. Yeah. We went to church. I got up on the guitar, or played my little guitar, and some. Close to the end of the service, the Spirit of God come down and my uncle started speaking in tongues, interpreting. Yea, how the Lord God say, laying hands on me, wanted to pray for us. I called her for you before the foundation of the world. I ordained you to be together, predestinated. Use all these great words, which they didn't even believe in. As a matter of fact, as far as my memory can go back, the first time I ever remember the word ordained being used was when the Lord said he ordained me and Carol to be together. Wow. So ordination has two very special things to me. 
I was ordained to be part of him and ordained to be part with her. How I thank God for a wonderful crown. My goodness, it's like I'm preaching my funeral. I'm fixing to die. <laughs> Lord, children, can't you see what you mean to him? Can't you see what you mean to him through this story this morning? He's longed for you before the world began. You think you long for him? That's only part of the story. He's longed for you to be gathered around his throne where he could receive his crown. I don't know the one in his head, but the one in his heart. Don't you want to give him what he wants? How blessed we are. We're not called to be servants. We're not called to be the church. We're called to be his crown. His crown. Let him take your pain, your anxiety, your scars. Let him take all that. Let him have it, Bathsheba. Let him make a voice out of you. Isn't it amazing that Solomon quotes the voice of his mother more so than the voice of his father, the great psalmist of Israel. Let's bow our heads together. Sisters, I don't mean to add to your load and your responsibility, but what a great impact you all can have and prayerfully continue to have on the lives of your children. You children here today that have a mother like this, you ought to be so happy, so grateful. I would to God my mama was still alive so I could walk out of this room here and pick up the phone and call her. Mama, how are you today? I ain't been able to do that for a long time. I envy those of you who can. Every now and then, me and Carol will be out somewhere and she'd say, wouldn't your mama love to be here? Mama was just a simple person, never had a lot of stuff in life. And I'd say, yeah, she would. We were someplace not long ago and she said, oh, your mama would love to be here. And it's It's sad because they're taken from us. But I'm grateful of what mama was able to give me. But oh, how grateful I am today for what the forefathers running before us, handing down to us. Where would we be today were it not for Luther, Wesley, Pentecost, Elijah, Peter, James, John, Paul? Where would we be today? Just a bunch of Americans, just a bunch of church members, but what are we? Rehearsing the prophecy we learned from our mother. Hallelujah. Lord God, I pray you'll be able to take this simple thought today, Father. Oh, Jesus, may it anchor deep into our hearts. I want to say thank you for my mama. Just because she's gone don't mean I've stopped loving her. I think about her from time to time. Bless her heart. We're so poor and daddy just barely made a wage to survive for us. And mama would try to stretch the food and make it go as far as she could. I didn't understand it then as a little boy. But as I remember back, my mama wouldn't eat sometimes. 
she said she wasn't hungry. But I realized now what mama wouldn't eat. There wasn't enough to go around. Dear Lord, I think about our church fathers, our patriarchs, our matriarchs, dear mothers, saints of God that have lived down through the ages. Where would we be today if it wasn't for those that had blazed the trail before us? And in so much that your prophet said, behind every good man is that good woman. We want to give our sisters that which they respectfully deserve in Christ Jesus. Not the women's liberation movement, but the movement of God. Today we honor our sisters in our assembly that are godly, virtuous women. Not only those that are living, but many standing here today and no doubt they're reminiscing about their mother, their godly mother and what she did, the things she set before them. Oh, what a day it'll be, Father, when we all gather together and out will walk the queen, your wife, and we will crown you King of kings and Lord of lords. And then we will take our crowns and cast them at your feet. I've often wondered what you would say, what would be your first remarks. Of course, there's no way for us to know. But I wonder if the words of Solomon have not rung true in your heart, for it was you that gave them words to him. Who can find a virtuous woman? It seemed nearly impossible for Satan contaminated the entire human race. But we're so grateful the sovereignty of God overrode Satan's contamination. You can ask the question and you can answer your own question. Who can find a virtuous woman? And you can answer and say, I, the Lord God, have created one. Praise the Lord. May we be true, Lord Jesus. May we be faithful. May we be your virtuous bride. May we be able to crown you one day, Father. Thank you, Lord. How many of you, both men and women here today, visible and invisible, is that your heart's desire? You don't want to be a church member. You, you don't want to be just somebody that comes to church and occupies a pew and causes trouble and this and that, but with all of your heart, you want to be that type of a person. Wouldn't it be awesome to know that the Lord Jesus would say this about you, that you are a virtuous member of my body? Or you wait till we get on down into these verses. On and on and on, Solomon goes about his mother and about the bride, of what she is and how she does and what she takes, what she has. and She's like a merchant ship and, and she spins and she weaves and she gets flax and she gets byssus, which is linen, and she gets all of these things. And it's not that she's so much concerned about things because all the things she's getting are focused back on her husband and her children. 
Oh my, in this materialistic age when things mean more to women than motherhood, they'd rather have a dog or a cat in their lap than they would a baby. They'll abort a baby and get a dog or a cat or something else to replace it. Well, the church is doing the same thing. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. Some of these message people don't want any of these Acts 238 tongue-talking, speaking youngs. So you know what they do? They perform spiritual abortions too. And they just go ahead and say, well, we don't need all that emotion in the message. Who gave you the right to take it away from the bride of Christ? A prophet said a birth is a mess whether it's in a pink decorated hospital room or a barn. And when we get to the place that we replace a messy birth, we better come back and get the Holy Ghost. Oh my. So what are some of the message preachers doing? Aborting them by just giving them intellectual conception of a new birth and call it stillborn. Yeah. Shame on us. Vote me out if you want to. Don't never let me preach in that new place. That's up to you. But as long as I'm here, I'm gonna preach to you a new birth. The same new birth Paul had. The same new birth Peter had. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Now, let me just ask you as an individual, those of you, you want to be what you've heard preached You want to be a part of this bride. Would you just raise your hand to the Lord? Men, women, I know sometimes the women can relate to being part of the bride easier than us men can. But we want to be a part of that body, do we not? To a weak and crown, the Lord Jesus. You hear a lot of people talking about their crown. Oh, my crown this and my crown that. Forget our crown. Let's forget that part of it. Let's think about we're going to get the honor of crowning the Lord God himself. Oh, let's just worship him together a little bit before we go. Can we got a little bit of time? Come, let us adore him. Let us worship him. I personally don't want to wait till I get there that day. I want to worship him every day of my life. I was laying stone the other day on the sign in the entrance to the church. I was up there praying and I prayed for a while and prayed over different people in the church that was sick and I had a little portable speaker sitting up there and I turned some music on to listen to it. I turned it off and I just wanted to kind of start praising the Lord a little. So I just stand there praising him and loving him. I said, Lord, I love you. I just worship you. I love you with all my heart. I just, I just, God raised my voice. I said, Jesus, I love you so much. And he said, and I love you, darling. I thought, oh, he told me personally. He loved me. I felt like I could walk on water. I felt like I could run over the top of the moon. After all, ain't that what it's all about? (laughs) To know. Well, you say, I wish I could hear him say that. You heard him say it today. You heard him say it today. He loves you so much. He took you with all of your mess and invited you into the palace. 
feast at his table. Let's worship him together. Lord God. Lord God, I worship you, Jesus. I bless your name. I worship you, Jesus. Good sing some for us. Let's just praise him. Minister to him. Let him minister back to you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Everybody, hallelujah. Oh, come bless. Let us adore him. Oh, come bless.
my beloved and he is mine his banner over me is love oh i am my beloved and he is mine his banner over me is love i am my beloved and he is mine his banner over me is love his banner over me is love he brought me into his banqueting table his banner over me is love has brought me into the banqueting table his banner over me is love he brought me into the banqueting table his banner over me is love his banner Oh, I am my beloved, and he is mine. His banner over me is love. Oh, I am my beloved, and he is mine. His banner over me is love. I am my beloved, and he is mine his banner over me is love his banner over me it is love jesus is the rock of my salvation his banner over me Jesus is a rock of my salvation. His banner over me is love. Jesus is a rock of my salvation. His banner over me is love. His banner over me. time into his banqueting table his banner over me is love today I have sat at the king's banqueting table his banner over me is love he has brought me into his banqueting
worship you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise you today, Father. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for taking the mess of our life, our old rags, running it through a process. And little by little, we're seeing the image of the King come into our lives. Thank you, Lord God. We worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. We bless your name, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Can we just worship him just a little bit before we go? I know I've got your lunch planned and this and that and the other, but he deserves our praise. He's worthy. But then what was that song y'all sang as a group? Maybe you can come up and sing that for us. That one you talked to me about the other day said maybe we could sing some worship. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I may like just love him a little bit before we go. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You know the one I'm talking about? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. We worship you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I know what it's like to be in the presence of the Lord. And not know what time it is Cause time stood still Bodies were healed And families restored Because we stayed here in the presence of the Lord. No one had to say a word, couldn't even make a sound. I'd give up everything for this treasure I found. I never wanted to win. Oh, so I say, stay. I don't want you to go Cause my heart is burning In your presence, Lord 
so I'll stay Where else would I go? My heart is burning in your presence, sing this little chorus this morning. Amen. Did you enjoy the word of the Lord this morning? Amen. Just remember, service Wednesday night. Amen. Those that be traveling, just pray the Lord have traveling mercies upon you this season. Amen. Let's sing this this morning as you go. Oh, the more that I surrender Show. Sure.